at ease, at ease. Hello, test. One, two, three, four. Hello, I'm just the... Yeah, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd uh, like to come on record here very fast before we do anything else. Uh, tonight, of course, is an election night, or at least a, a primary night. Let's keep that straight. It's not quite an election. And uh, we're doing what is uh, described on the log as a truncated program, which means butchered to hell and gone. So, uh, <laughs> frankly, uh, I'm not, uh, you know, it doesn't matter to me one way or the other, because, you know, I, I'm always uh, interested, uh, more than interested, fascinated by the whole process of electronic journalism vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the electoral process. And, uh, the yeah, the, the, the atmosphere in a radio station or a TV station on any given election night is always interesting. And I've seen it change. They're never the same. Each, each, uh, each event is different. And the feeling and the mood of the event is different. You know, uh, I have to concede something, though, personally, myself tonight. This is probably the dullest primary I can remember. Uh, you, you're not, you know, the, 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 the thing that, that, uh, that many, uh, many uh, journalist types, whether electronic or uh, television or radio type journalists, they have to keep pretending that there's a fantastic issue at stake here. You know, it's like, it's like a, an announcer... Uh, who's doing play-by-play -play for a seventh-place ball club in a league that's about to go out of business uh, late in August. <laughs> and you have to keep trying to whip up enthusiasm. It's like, it's, uh, it's like being the play-by-play -play announcer for the San Diego Padres. And uh, they had just been announced two days earlier that they've been sold to Washington and they're not going to be in town any longer. And how do you whip up enthusiasm late in the eighth inning when your team is training 15 to two? You know, but uh, this uh, <laughs> this this is a, a curious problem of electronic journalism, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, this has not been one of the more exciting, spine-tingling uh, uh, primaries. Not that primaries per se are very interesting anyway, but uh, you know we try to whip them, uh, whip the electorate into a froth of enthusiasm. Over these things, have you noticed that all the all the guys? There's a certain pattern when you're an experienced uh, concession speech appreciator. I personally love a good, resounding, uh, sorehead concession speech. Uh, <laughs> you know that to me, this is an emerging art form of our time, where the candidate never concedes that he was roundly defeated. Uh, that the uh, that the uh, electorate discovered uh, in the last three weeks of the campaign, his total incompetence began to show, and the tr the truth finally came out. Uh, at least three candidates tonight have claimed that they were the victims of Watergate. Now, what, how the hell you could be a victim of Watergate when you're running for borough council? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> did you hear that one? I thought that's very creative. Uh, if you're if you're ahead and you're winning. Uh, you, you find nothing but good in the electorate, uh, that the, the process of uh, the, the election is always sound and fair, and the electorate, uh, the, the, uh, the people who do the electing, the uh, population have shown rare judgment. But, uh, but if you lose, uh, it's another story entirely. And uh, it's usually conniving on, due to a biased press. This often uh, is a goodie. In certain circles, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's. I, I I remember one time though. I I uh, been it was in a was in a television station one night a few years ago, 
Uh, a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff you are much much better than ever actually comes on. Uh, you know, comes on the air. Like one night, the anchor man of a uh, TV station that I was once toiling in the wheat fields for uh, went out uh, in the middle of a big national convention or other national election. See, and, he, and the anchor man went out for dinner right in the middle of this thing. Came back about uh, 45 minutes later and slipped into the anchor man seat. And uh, they kept feeding him these uh, these bulletins in back of them. There was this great big board, you know, with the numbers flashing off and on and all that stuff. And uh, nobody paid much attention because the whole place was in an uproar. You know how it is on election nights, the national election, and ticker tapes were going, and you could hear them, you know, the machines were going, dum, 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 ding, 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 dum, dum. And uh, he was on the air for about uh, 40 minutes before somebody took the trouble of actually looking to see what he was doing. He was bagged to the ears. He was pie-eyed. And uh, he, <laughs> he was he was looking back at the board there and giving the wrong returns and and having a you know a rare good time, and uh, so they eased him out of the out of the chair about uh, you know 45 minutes after he'd he'd uh, been pretty obvious to the audience that he was tanked to the gills. They they eased him out, and unfortunately there was a tremendous number of calls that came in immediately. What happened to uh, to uh, the anchor man? Because they they thought it was a great show. Uh, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> but uh, we had we had one time. Uh, speaking of great moments, yeah, don't worry, I'll get them all in. We're on till you know, we'll be on till midnight. It's okay. Don't worry, Jerry. Hi, I've got it under control. Uh, don't worry about me. But uh, I I uh, I feel that the, that the, that the behind the scenes things of the election are sometimes more interesting than than what you see on camera. Like one time, I was over doing the Today Show here a few years ago. Uh, on, on television, and I was standing in the back. Uh, they had this big studio, and, and uh, in the back of the studio was a bunch of old props, just all piled up, all kinds of old sets and stuff, and stuff that was to be cut up and chopped up and used for kindling wood, and and uh, you know stuff that uh, that uh, they just use for junk and that. And I and I looked at it. Here's this. Here's a great big thing, and on the back it was marked uh, Nixon. And uh, I walked around the back of it, and here, piled up among all this junk to be thrown out, were these two, I guess the plural of podium, is podia, podia? These two podiums. Uh, one was Mark Nixon, and the other was Mark Kennedy. They were left over from the big Kennedy-Nixon debates. Remember that? And, uh, you know, these, these would have been great for a, uh, a uh, you know, some, a, a Slav art museum. You know, this is where history took it. It'd be like owning... Uh, you know the stand that uh, that Lincoln argued with Douglas on, but no, it was all piled up there. So you you, you find that the that the sense of history in television and radio is very small. Uh, very few of them keep even uh, tapes or records of past elections. And uh, by the way, in about uh, 20 seconds, we're going to cut away again to the newsroom and uh, get some more dope on this uh, exciting primary race. This is W O R in New York. And uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, it's uh, Lester Smith. He's the one that's in the newsroom tonight. Yeah, Les is in the newsroom with all his earphones all over him, all our dynamic uh, reporters all over the lot there ready to report. I hope uh, in the next 15 minutes there will be at least one good concession speech, you know, with tears and angry denunciations. Okay, we'll be back just as soon as you hear all this latest information from the primary. Here's Lester Smith in the newsroom. In the WR Newsroom, our latest report on our New York City and other available information on primary election today.
Lester Smith reporting from the WOR newsroom over WR New York, 710 on your dial, your station for news as it happens. And we'll go back now to Gene Shepard. Yeah, thank you, Lester. Very good. That's the only latest dope. Don't forget uh, if there's any drastic change in the next 15, 20 minutes, we'll whip back to the newsroom. We'll pick it up right away. Although it doesn't look like there'll be anything drastic. And uh, in any event, at uh, midnight, there'll be a complete uh, roundup of all the primary dope and stuff. Uh, before we go any further, let's get a couple of these little, these little uh, money makers out of the way here. Sabina Belgian World Airlines has an urgent announcement for young travelers who plan to go to Europe this summer. After the 27th of June, the present $220 youth fare to Europe will no longer be available. That's a big deal there. The very next day, the 28th of June, youth fare will go up to $263, and moreover, there will be no more youth fare for 24- and 25-year-olds and no eligibility for students up to the age of 29. However, the $220 youth fare will apply on every Sabina flight to Europe right up to the 9.45 p.m. departure on the 27th of June, and you can return any time within a year. Better get on the stick there and find out about that. You've got, if you want to get the, the dope, uh, you better call Sabina fast because uh, they're really jammed up. Their number is 212, area code, and the number is 9616200. That's Sabina Belgian World Airlines. If you want to have that last chance to save on a youth fare. And let's see. What's this? Evelyn Wood. Uh, take a free mini lesson and increase your reading and memory abilities on the spot. According to the spot, for years, man has dreamed of possessing a powerful memory. Uh, that can also be a fantastic curse, by the way. A memory that can store information for long periods of time. And... and uh, He's also dreamed of being able to retrieve this information accurately and on command. You know, you, you look at your mind, you say, Hey, mind, give me uh, March 27th, 1952. What was I doing that day? Well, due to a new technique, you can learn how to develop a reliable memory for virtually any kind of information, including that which you read. And the technique is being offered this summer with the Evelyn Wood Speed Reading Course at no extra cost. You get both memory and speed reading for the price of one. This week, the Lyceum will be holding this free mini-lesson at a location near your home. You come uh, to a free mini-lesson, increase your memory and reading speed on the spot. And let's see, they're going to have a free lesson tomorrow night at 8 in the Bronx at Fordham University, Faculty Memorial Hall, in Garden City at the Roosevelt Field Lower Concourse, in Manhattan at 72 West 45th Street, in Queens at the Flushing YMCA, that's at 136-46 Northern Boulevard, and in Morristown, New Jersey, at the Governor Morris Inn, 2 Whippany Road. Okay. You know, speaking of, uh, if I, I uh, you know, it was before the news here, I was talking about uh, curious events that happened in radio stations and TV stations during elections, but I'd have to say the most exotic one that I ever was involved in happened one night in a... Uh, it was a combined TV and radio operation, and there was really a, a wild scene occurred. I, I was on duty at night, just like this. You know, we're on at night. And it was the night before... Well, actually, let me think here now. It was the night... Yeah, the night before the election. And uh, the polls opened the next morning, like at 8 o'clock in the morning, 7 o'clock, some wild time in the morning like that. 
And uh, we were on at night, this television station, this radio station. And uh, I had a TV show on this station. And uh, I was going to school. I was naive and innocent and uh, all the rest of it. Yeah, you know, you, you, you really, you really uh, go through a phase when, when you really believe uh, in all kinds of slogans. You do, you know. And uh, I, was, uh, I was on at night. And there was another guy who was on at night uh, who was doing the radio side. I had this TV show that I was getting ready. We were working on it. And there was myself there and a couple of engineers and a couple of cameramen were on that night. And uh, there was a really red-hot election. Now, the election in, that was involved was, uh, like most local elections, incomprehensible to anybody outside of that locality. And, in fact, incomprehensible to a lot of people in the locality. This, uh, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's almost impossible to tell what the differences of the candidates that are running in this particular primary except that they seem to agree on one thing. All the others are rascals. Uh, that, uh, that's what they seem to agree on. And uh, so it's not easy. It's, like, it's, like, uh, it's, it's really like a, some kind of very esoteric game of, of uh, a bumble puppy. Did you ever hear of the sport of bumble puppy? Bumble puppy. Well, that's a, that's a sport that, uh, that was created by Aldous Huxley. In, in his novel, The Brave New World. And uh, Bumble Puppy is a very esoteric game that has no point, but it is very loud and noisy, and there's a tremendous sense of excitement about it. And the rules change continually. So uh, <laughs> Bumble Puppy players are full of sound and fury, but there's little substance involved. It's a totally non-denominational game one that people get all excited about periodically, but has no lasting effect, which, uh, to me, uh, clearly describes any election I can ever remember. I, I've always, uh, as long as I can recall in my, my brief uh, limited existence on this earth, that every candidate who's been elected has promised this fantastic millennium when he gets elected. Things are, you know, all these things, are, the mess is going to get straightened out. Uh, whatever the mess is, uh, uh, let's see. What, let's let's count up the various messes that are going to be straightened out by every election you can remember. One, the tax mess. How often have you heard the tax mess will be straightened out? Uh, the court mess, that'll be straightened out. The law and order mess will be straightened out. Uh, the mess mess will be straightened out. Uh, that's the uh, that's the doggy litter uh, mess, I presume. But uh, nevertheless, all these messes are going to be straightened out. And, and what I like about man, though, is that he's, 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 infinitely, he's infinitely excitable, but he's also infinitely practical. That, uh, that man, uh, in his own practicality, immediately following the election, he doesn't expect the mess to actually get cleaned up, but he likes to talk about it. He likes to vote on that premise. He actually gets all excited. He goes and hears speeches, you know, and uh, he uh, you know, waves flags and gets little horns to blow and marches in parades. Then after it's all over, he goes back to wherever he goes, you know, between elections. He goes back to the hot dog stand. He goes back to working his little machine, turning out widgets. And he doesn't worry about the messes until the next four years, you know, when it comes up. Then you start cleaning up the mess again. Well, <laughs> no, this, this is a fact. I'm not, I'm not being cynical or sardonic. It's, it's the way life is. So uh, this particular election that I was uh, about to describe in, in uh, finite detail, uh, was an election where the TV and the radio station was in a town, uh, I will not give you the name of the town because it's not important, uh, right across the state line 
from another town. In other words, the towns are, were laid right against each other, just like, say, uh, uh, New York City here is right across the river from Jersey. And uh, they can hear me clearly in Jersey. I suspect often too clearly, but uh, they, they can't. So uh, a radio station or a TV station in New York can play a certain role in an election in Jersey because it's listened to, the station is, in, in the other state. Well, this is the way this was, only this was in the Midwest. But it so happened that this television station and this radio station were the only outlets that were heard in this other town. They didn't have any radio or TV station of their own. So that set up an interesting problem, uh, that, that the town... Uh, the town that the TV and the radio station was in was a dry town. Dry in, in the sense that, that, the, that the bars closed at midnight. Uh, they, they, didn't serve, uh, they didn't serve liquor to people under 21. You know, that whole stuff, see. But across the state line, which you could see down at the end of the street, the state line went right through the town. You could see across the state line was this total Babylon. It was, the other state was fantastic. I mean, everything was wide open. And in fact, it was so wide open that the town across the state line, which was just, as I said, across the street, really, was entirely composed of taverns, uh, places of, uh, of chance, uh, houses of ill fame. <laughs> I mean, the works. And, and at 4 o'clock in the morning, you could, you, could, you could walk through the streets of this one town, and it's quiet and and you could hear the sound of, of birds sleeping in their nests. But you could see a glow in the sky that looked like a Bessemer converter or a blast furnace. Actually, it was the main street of the town next door going full blast. I mean, they did not stop 24 hours a day. Well, periodically, there was a reform movement. Okay? Well, it was only really a, a reform movement in name only, because if they reformed that town, there simply wouldn't have been a town. Uh, practically every resident of the town either owned the joint, worked in one, or was about to buy into one, or was muscling his way into one. <laughs> so, so the reform movement, which would arrive periodically on the scene, uh, a group of uh, a group of uh, people who uh, who uh, would thunder from pulpits that uh, that they're going to change the whole situation, uh, would arrive every four years when the election would happen. But it never really occurred which uh, was all right with the people of that town anyway. They liked to feel that there was a reform movement, but reform itself was too difficult to take. So <laughs> on this particular night, I'm, I'm in the TV station, and, and uh, I was down on the TV side, and the radio station is, is going away full blast like this one here tonight. And, the, and, the, and there were candidates coming in, and the candidates would come in at, at regular half-hour intervals giving their last-minute speeches. Remember, the polls are opening in the morning there, see? And uh, here it is. It's now it's about 8.30 at night. And there's nobody in the station except me, a couple of engineers, and a cameraman or two on the television side. One guy in the radio station who uh, was in there in the newsroom. Another guy that was working the board. A couple of very, very minimal staff, see? And uh, 8.30, all of a sudden, I am in the control room talking to my friend who is on the radio side. When we see, through the glass, a group of people have arrived. And they are wearing black overcoats and large black hats. Now, the radio station and the TV station was all locked up at night. Remember that. 
Nobody was allowed up in there. And these guys suddenly showed up. There was about six of them. And one of them, who had the face of, uh, well, a truly simian face. is the only way I can describe it. You know, the word simian means gorilla-like, okay? He was, he was a gorilla who had taken the walking upright and wearing a hat. He's a very strange-looking man. He starts banging on the glass. You know, he goes like that. See? And he's banging on a glass, and he's hit it with something that I couldn't see. He's hitting it with something very heavy. See? He's banging. So with that, my buddy says, well, you know, this looks like trouble. I says, what are you going to do, Russ? He said, uh, gee, I don't know. He said, uh, do you know them guys? I said, I do not, Russ, but I don't like the looks of things. Because they stood and with their faces up against the glass, and all of their eyes, there were a row of about nine eyes, just looking with, with this cold, bleary look of true evil. And they kept knocking on the glass. Well, I went in to the, to the, to the uh, studio where the glass was, see, and I hollered to the glass door, you know, what do you want? And the guy says, uh, who was knocking on the door, he says, I come from Smokey Joe. I said, you did what? Who? Smokey Joe. I come from Smokey. I said, well, what, what, do you, what do you want? Smokey Joe don't want none of them guys. On the radio or the television. He sent us guys up to talk to you guys about it. So what do you want us to do? They paid, you know, they, they bought all this time. They're going to be on the air tonight. I mean, the reform, the, the, the reverend is here. Uh, they're all going to be on the air. And who's Smokey Joe? And he, he, he leans forward and he touches this great nose that looked like a potato that had seen the use of a masher. He leans forward and he says... What do you mean you don't know Smokey? You're putting me on, buddy. You don't know Smokey Joe. I said, no, I don't. He said, well, you better get somebody who knows Smokey Joe. There's going to be some problems. Going to be trouble. I got to talk to somebody. I said, hold on. So I run like hell back into the control room. See, I, I keep the door locked. And these six or seven guys with black coats are milling around out there. And I, I rushed back to the control room, and I said, we better get the manager. Call him on the phone. Get the manager quick. So at that point, we dial our manager, and we get him. He's at home. See, he's sitting there happily, fat, dumb, and happy. Uh, you know, he's just enjoying And I said, uh, I, I get the phone. And I, I, I said, hey, I said, Sam. He said, yeah, what's the matter? I said, there's a guy outside who says he's from somebody named Smokey Joe. Do you know who Smokey Joe is? And Sam says, Smokey Joe! Tell him don't do anything! Who are they? I said, there's six of them. I don't know. He said, my God, don't, 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 don't say nothing. Tell him I'll be right down. I said, okay, thank you, Sam. So I hang up and I run back in the studio and I says, the manager's coming. He's coming down. He better be here quick. Smokey's listening. Well... It seemed like about eight milliseconds. I don't know how he got to the station. He must have flown. Just, you know, motivation is very powerful. He came sailing into the station, and, and, and he runs up the stairs, and, and I see him. He's meeting these seven or eight guys, and they go back into his office. And about five minutes later, I see the five or six guys with the black coats leaving, and they're laughing, you know. And one of them looks over at me, and he says, Hey, kid! Hey, listen, kid! You come down to the, come down to the hurricane club some night. Smokey take care of you, okay? <laughs> oh, you're a good kid, right? And he leaves. I said, what the hell? The hurricane club, incidentally. 
along with the Riptide, were two of the toughest joints in the Western Hemisphere. They made the Barbary Coast of Malay look like the Bobsy Twins' farm, I'm going to tell you. So the, the manager comes into the studio, and he says, Listen, you guys. He said, uh, I don't know how to tell you guys this, but uh, none of the shows that we got scheduled for tonight, you know, all these reform guys are coming in to give these speeches about how they're going to reform up the, the, the town over there. He says, those have all been canceled. And Smokey Joe has bought all the time. <laughs> I says, what? He says, I'm sorry, Smokey Joe bought all the time. He bought all the time, both on television and radio, all night to the next day. And I said, well, what are we going to do? He bought all this time. He says, don't do anything. He said, they don't want you to say anything about Smokey Joe. They just want you to do the regular shows, play records and stuff, and never mention the, the election. That's all. And it was at that point, <laughs> it was at that point that I began to see a lot of the realities of existence. And, I, you know, that, 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 uh, that week, you know, the election was, it was a great election, as you can, as you can probably realize, that uh, I think the, the plurality uh, in the final election was something like 900,000 to 12 votes for the reformers who voted for themselves, I suspect. Before we go any further, hit them with a, an elegant uh, aperitif spot, please. You don't have to know a lot about wines to know the time for Dubonnet is before. Before, that's the time to think about some Dubonnet to drink. Before's the proper time of day to have yourself a Dubonnet. Before, yeah, before. Dubonnet. Some people can't spell it, and there's hardly a soul who knows it's an aperitif. But don't let that scare you away. All you need to know is this. Dubonnet's the wine that's made to go before lunch, before dinner. Just pour it over the rocks, add a twist, soda if you like. That's Dubonnet before, made to make what comes after that much better. Dubonnet Company, New York, New York. Listen, I saw one time when, when two candidates uh, met in the hall of a, of a television station. One candidate was coming in to give a speech, and uh, he had to wait because while he was waiting, the other candidate, who had the half hour before his time, was finishing his speech. And so uh, he was out in the hall, see, and neither one of them had, you know, knew that they were going to run into each other. And it was a really fantastic moment of high drama when the, the, uh, the first candidate, he wound up his speech with a ringing denunciation of the morality and the, the general character deficiencies of his opponent. And uh, <laughs> he dragged in everything but the family dog. He questioned the ancestry of the uh, setter dog that this guy owned. And he really gave him hell, see. Well, at that point, the candidate got up, and after he had said, I remember his last words, he says, And I know that the voters of this town, realizing the basic immorality of my opponent, will make the right and proper choice tomorrow morning when they go to the polls. Thank you very much. And uh, the announcer says, You've been listening to J.D. Bullard, uh, the candidate for uh, city council. And at that point, he got up and started to walk out, and there was only one door to the studio. And as he, as he walked out, the door swung open, and these two guys ran right into each other. Just, 
you know, they slammed into each other. Neither It was totally accidental. And with that, the first guy who was sitting out in the in the wings, listening to the speech of this of the guy that had just concluded, he was so bugged that he took a swing at him without without a word, you know, without a word of uh, of comment. He just hit him in the mouth. Well, <laughs> they both fell down. They're rolling around on the floor. See, in the studio, and and yeah, these were two elegant candidates, and one of them was the mayor, and the other was the guy that was running for mayor. Now, it's not often that you see a mayor rolling around on the floor knocking over the wastebaskets, you know, and, and hollering four-letter words at his opponent, you know, and the glasses were flying and everything, and the aides were milling around. The, the aides of one guy were in the studio still picking up the papers, and the aides of the other guy were out, out in the hall, and they didn't know what was going on. So here's this big thing, and, and uh, the, announcer, the announcer says, uh, due to the technical difficulties, we will have to delay the start of our next... Uh, our next scheduled political uh, speech, uh, which uh, we will carry in just a moment. You hear this in the background. You can hear, if you listen, turned up your, 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 your gain, you can hear, plump. <laughs> it was truly the democratic uh, process in direct action. I, you know, it'd be kind of great to see, to, to see Herman Badillo and, and uh, Abe Beam slugging it out, you know, someday, you know, rolling around with Bella Absug screaming through a bullhorn at the two of them, you know. Not that she needs a bullhorn. So, <laughs> oh man, you know, it. it uh, I guess that's a little disillusioning to discover that candidates are are are, uh, are just, uh, if not even more human than we are. Oh yeah, very. Like uh, like I remember one candidate finishing his speech, and uh, the announcer giving him a thing. He says, you know, you realize you've made some libelous statements about your opponent, and we'll have to have you sign this paper to the effect that you did, and uh, so that you can let us. He says, what do you mean libelous? He says, what, what? You know, if I ever told the truth about that guy, let me tell you, they'd take you off the air in a minute. He's a and he, he uses the word on the air. It's fantastic political speech. This is W O R friends in New York. And we are delaying the start of the John Wingate Show tonight for a few moments in order to bring you more primary election returns with Lester Smith in the WOR newsroom. Pick it up, Lester. Thank you, Gene Shepard. All night with Wingate will be delayed so that we can bring you the latest developments in our New York primary election results.